Welcome to episode 212 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So first we have a uh, Patreon supporter uh, to thank, I, I believe, Shane. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to uh, Chong Wang. Uh, really appreciate the Patreon support. Uh, so he's the the newest the newest supporter. And and again, thank you and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We certainly appreciate uh, all of that, and it allows us to do our cost recovery and and then some uh, on the podcast. So that's awesome. Yeah, no, we we do really appreciate it. We're just talking about some of the stuff that we're doing uh, for our own astronomy projects. Not really anything we're going to put in the podcast at this point, although I think we said maybe we should have made that a podcast. We're, we're running a little late here now because I was uh, twisting Shane's ear and and talking about other other topics. But uh, yeah, I think if we had to put, our, put all of our own money into this, then it would uh, kind of um, throw a bit of a wet blanket on some of these other projects that uh, that we have on the go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, again, thanks to all of the, the Patreon supporters. Yeah, really appreciate it. So how is uh, your week, Shane? Sounds like you were able to get out. We, we had a couple of good nights. I mean, starting the weather is turning around pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, we're, we're getting some clear skies. Seeing has been not terrible, not, not great either. I'd put it in the middle, but uh, transparency and cloud cover has been quite favorable and it certainly is warming up. So that makes it a lot easier to get out as well. Um, so yeah, I was out on, uh, April 7th in the evening and, uh, there's a whole bunch of things going on that night, Chris. So, uh, you know, your next bullet here mentions my new tripod. So I did receive my Burla back uni 28. Um, and part of that observing session was to try out the new tripod and see how it worked. How uh, was it? I'm very excited for this. Cause this is like the tripod I've had on my wish list for an awful long time. Um, it, you know, I don't want to overstate it, you know, cause sometimes I think I get caught up in, you know, fancy new gear, but this really was incredible. Like this tripod, uh, it, it's one of the few purchases that I've made in my, you know, in the astronomy hobby where I really now regret not doing this like five years ago. Yeah. Um, it really is that good. I couldn't believe uh, the stability and, uh, just the ease of operation. And now there's not a lot to operate with a tripod, obviously, but, um, it still was just a joy to use. So, um, I had my sky T2 mount, uh, on top of it. And then I put my biggest telescope that I have on it as well, which is my, uh, sky watcher, 120 millimeter ED refractor. Mm -hmm. Um, it has a 900 millimeter focal length. So it's a fairly long tube. And it's not light, you know, like when you put everything no. on it, well, I guess for a 120 millimeter scope, it's, it's, I guess, relatively, uh, not too heavy, but I think overall I'm about 12 pounds maybe with that telescope with diagonal and, you know, dovetail. maybe a little more. Yeah. 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 Maybe a little more even. Yeah. Could be, could be. So, um, so I'll, maybe I'll just talk about the tripod first and then I'll actually get into what I looked at and all of that other fun stuff. Um, so uh, started the night with the tripod legs, uh, fully, I guess, retracted. So it was as short as it can go. And the uni 28 is a fairly tall tripod. And, uh, even with the legs not extended, um, I found it quite comfortable to observe now. Oh, really? Now. Yeah. But I guess a little caveat here. Now, 
if I was observing maybe up to 20 or 30 degrees, it was quite comfortable. Now, if I was going to be observing, say, 40 to 70 degrees up, um, I'd probably want the legs extended because now that eyepiece, especially with a long telescope mm. like that, the eyepiece is getting a lot closer to the ground. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, with the legs uh, not extended, this thing was rock solid. Uh, couldn't believe it. It just, you know, I, and the, what I was doing to test it is I put in uh, relatively high power. So I think I was running about a hundred times magnification and I would just give a good wrap on the focuser or the diagonal with my knuckle. Um, and then I would see, you know, was there any vibration and how long did it take to dampen? Um, so with the legs not extended, there was almost no vibration. When I did that, there was a, just, there was a touch, but it dampened almost immediately. Wow. Um, the other thing that I'll say about that is I didn't have it on the best, uh, the most stable ground. So, you know, my backyard, Chris, like I have a couple stone patios, but then I also have a lot of crushed rock around our raised gardens. I was on the crushed rock. So like, you know, not the most stable platform and it was still really, really wow. good there. So, so that sort of was like test one of the night test two, I moved it on to the stone patio and I extended the legs out about 75% of the way. Um, at this point, the telescope, gee, I would have to say it was at about shoulder height for me. So, oh, you know, wow. that's, that's getting a little bit up there. I still had room to go. Um, so, uh, did the exact same, you know, wrap my knuckle on the diagonal and on the focuser. And I would say that the vibration lasted for maybe about half of a second before it dampened away. Wow. So I was thoroughly impressed with that. That is Um, awesome. Yeah. I was quite pleased. Uh, so the Burlaback uh, details also just with the, the tripod in case anybody's interested, uh, I did get the double clamped version. So yeah. there's, there's two clamps, which um, some say the second clamp doesn't add any stability. Some say it does um, some, you know, un, like definitely what it does is it adds a little bit of safety. You know, if, yeah. one of, if one of your legs isn't, you know, fully tightened, you know, with one clamp, hopefully the second clamp will catch it and prevent it from collapsing. Yeah. Well, what I noticed with mine, like I have another tripod, I think it has two clamps. And I think what happens there is that typically if one of them, because sometimes they can just work their way loose or there's a temperature change. Mm. And then typically what happens if, if it starts to go a bit, it will only go down like, um, like a little bit, like it, mm-hmm. it's not like a, all, all the way to the ground tip over kind of situation. It just kind of starts to slide and it might go, it might retract maybe a few inches and then it kind of catches and you notice it and you're like, Oh crap. Like, you know, I better fix that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. It is handy. So I like that. Um, the feet that I had on it are the, uh, Burlaback rubber feet. Um, mm. I also bought the, like this, the metal spiky ones that I can screw in if I want, if I'm mm-hmm. observing on like dirt or on like your nice refinished hardwood floors and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My <laughs> wife would love that. I'm sure. What happened here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, just trying yeah. to gear. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I also have the, uh, like the wood tray and I also got the, um, uh, the spreader, the tripod spreader that goes yeah. in the middle. Yeah. You which, gotta get, you gotta get all that. It's that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So just can't say enough good things about it. Uh, this is going to be a great tripod for me. Uh, the, maybe the only downside, like I, I know you mentioned that your tripod, your Burlaback felt lighter than the weight, uh, that they advertised. 
Yeah. This one does not. (laughs) This one is 20 pounds. There's no question about that. Is that Um, so? Yeah. So with, here's an interesting thing though. So with the, uh, with the tripod, the mount and the telescope, I'm pushing 45 to 50 pounds there. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But I found it easier to pick this thing up and move it around my backyard. Uh, it's easier than an eight inch daub because the eight inch yeah. daub is, you know, awkward, probably, yeah. yeah, it's just super awkward. It, I, I think it's lighter. I should have looked up the weight of a, a Skywatcher eight inch, but, um, the daubs are just so weird to pick up and try to move. Yeah. Um, so, so this was nice. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Um, I'm going to, I have to get an we, adapter we, to, to use my stellar view, uh, M2C yeah. mount on there. So I'm curious to see how that one does when I get yeah. the adapter, but yeah. I was curious. You you said you only went up about three quarters of the way, which I was surprised at. Um, like w- would the next one down, like would the next height down have, have worked uh, just as well, do you think? Or uh, like the uni 18? Yeah. Um, potentially. Yeah. The, the reason, the reason why I wanted the, uh, the taller one is, um, you know, it's easier to make it smaller, but it's a lot harder to make, you know, a short tripod taller. So (laughs) if that, if that makes sense, um, that that does. Yeah. And, and you're a taller person. So that's kind of the one thing that I was, uh, thinking about when you were getting it. And so, so Burlaback has a variety of tripods. Um, it's a German company and, um, just give people a, a quick overview and, they're, they're kind of known for making um, really good tripods. And what happened is that people were taking their photographic tripods and they've been making them for like, I don't know, like a hundred and something years. And, uh, and eventually um, they, they kind of caught wind that so many amateur astronomers were using them for visual and photography and all kinds of stuff. And they, uh, and they started building ones specifically for, um, us astronomers. So it's super cool. And they've kind of modified most of their lines, but there's, there's like three lines. There's the report line, which is what I have, which is the really small ones. Mm -hmm. And then there's, and so they're small and lightweight and it's hard to get an idea of how small and lightweight they are, but they're really in the range of like the smaller Manfrotto, um, tripods really is, you know, they're, they're more in that category. Um, and that's the report line and there's all kinds of different numbers, but it's the same tripod. Like you can go for a report one, one, two, and that's like one height. The next height higher is the two, one, two. And the next height higher is the three, one, two. And um, the tallest one is the four, one, two. And, and each of these goes up like, I don't know, like 15 or 16 centimeters or six inches or whatever it is. So you kind of just pick the, the height that you want. But the downside is, is that the higher you go, of course, you've got bigger tripods, they're getting heavier. You're also losing um, weight carrying capacity. So with the report series, once you get over the 212, which is the one that I have, your your weight carrying capacity begins to drop uh, significantly. So I went with the 212. And when I got mine, I think it said it was supposed to be eight or nine pounds. And I was thinking, well, that's still pretty good for portability and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was way, it was way lighter because they, um, they calculate in the tray to that weight when you're buying it. And I think the tray weighs like two and a half or three pounds. And there's something else that gets calculated in. And it actually, my tripod, I think it's about two inches shorter than 
I think what the spec said. So I don't know if that was a design flaw or what, but anyway, it, it definitely ended up being like uh, more like five pounds. Like it's a super portable tripod, but it still can carry the hundred inch or the hundred millimeter. Okay. Um, but then there's the university line, which is the line that you bought Shane. And that is uh, abbreviated as the uni. And, uh, and they go from the uni 14 through the uni 28. I think, I think that's it. And they're, I think their starting weights is around uh, 12 or 14 pounds or something like that. And then each, each one up, I think adds about two or three pounds to it. Is that, I think that's correct, isn't it? Yeah. I was only looking at the 18 and the 28. Uh, okay. So the 18 is about 17 and a half pounds. Yeah. Uh, the 28 is just a hair under 20. Like I think it's 19 and a half or something. So there's about a two pound difference. Yeah. Um, and the 18 has about a, an extra five kilograms for load tolerance, but yeah. you know, you, the difference is 55 kilos to 50 kilos. So I'm nowhere near that. And I, to be perfectly honest, I don't think it would be a great uh, experience if you loaded 50 kilograms onto this tripod. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure it would do very good, but, but yeah, uh, you know, the, uh, I'm sure any of the unis would, would meet, you know, your needs. Um, it, it all depends though. Like I, you know, I, I think if you're going to run a tripod and extend the legs, I don't think you ever really want them fully extended, uh, no. you know, for maximum stability. So that's another reason why I wanted to go with uh, the 28, um, yeah. because I thought with the 18, I'd probably have to fully extend the legs um, to get it to the height I would like when I'm observing standing up. Whereas the uni, like when I was about 70% extended, that's probably good enough, you know, for, for me. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I've only used it once. So, you know, more to come as I use it more often, you know, the, you're at least me, I'm usually blinded with like joy of, of using something for the first time. And, you know, after a few more uses, I may discover some things maybe I don't like as much, but so far it's a, it's a wonderful tripod. Yeah. Yeah. I actually got the parts to fix my uh, Manfrotto. What is it? The O two eight or whatever with the geared uh, column and, and my missing feet and, all that kind of stuff. So the feet are going to be easy enough to replace, but it didn't come with any instructions for replacing the um, column uh, handle. And it's got like a spring and a little nut and all that stuff. I might have to have to uh, see if I can convince you to help me out with uh, that replacement. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to go on. Oh yeah. Yeah. No problem. Well, we can figure that out. Yeah. So I thought about getting a new one and then I, I happened to look online and, and I saw I could get parts because those tripods are like around, I don't know, I want to say like maybe $400, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. They're four or $500 for the replacement. Uh, it, they're a great tripod. Um, yeah. I still use mine. Uh, I put my Burlaback caster two mount on that Manfrotto tripod because you and I basically have the same one. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of become my solar one. Mm. Um, it, it works really well for that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. And uh, I thought it's kind of a waste because for the most part, it's, it's still pretty good. And uh, what had happened was that part of the, you know, just from uh, gearing it up and gearing it down, there's like a little um, plastic, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's like almost like a, like a bearing or whatever, but anyway, it's the part that you hold and it, it rotates as you, as you call them up and call them down, but that kind of had broke and there was a lot of wear on it. And then, uh, I was kind of getting by and then I lost a foot another foot broke. And so I was down two feet and I was like, ah, 
like, is this time to get a new one? But I was on their, their site and you could actually order new feet for like 20 bucks. So I ordered a couple, guess I should have ordered three. I don't know what I was thinking, but anyway, I ordered two and uh, I can always get another one. And then uh, I saw they had a column there as well. So for a hundred bucks, you know, I'll basically get it back to, uh, you know, operational condition. Uh, the, the feet are the real game chain. They're real, like, you know, that, that just stopped me from using it because once you don't have feet in your tripod anymore, it's uh, not pretty difficult to use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like they're part of the system for stabilizing. So you definitely need them. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And I uh, had a chat with the uh, grasslands this week. So we're on for the last weekend of uh, May and the last weekend of June. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, should be should be interesting. I think in East Block, though, I think we're going to try to observe from uh, the top of that hill um, that you that you drive yeah. by when you first come in because they they put a uh, an eco tour road in up there, and uh, I think that uh, that's where we're going to try to try to set up anyway. At least uh, at least the first thing we'll see see how it goes because uh, you know the campground has become more and more um, active, and uh, because of that. We, uh, you know, of course, are, are impacted by people's uh, greater, you know, comings and goings and bathroom visits and that sort of thing. It's, uh, you know, it's just uh, just too much traffic around. Um, so we'll we'll maybe try up top and, and see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Will they let us camp up there or just observe? Well, I try to hint towards that, but uh, I think, I, well, first of all, I might be reluctant to do that anyway, because I have, I haven't even observed up there ever. We might go up there that first night and say never again, you know, we'll just go back down below. Um, yeah. So we gotta, we gotta try it out. So I didn't want to kind of push our, you know, um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, ideas around too, too much, but, uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. So looking forward to it. Um, yeah, we had an email there from Wade in Australia. Do you want to read this one? Well, before we get into that, oh, I wouldn't mind uh, getting into my observing report too. From oh, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, just from my session that night. The, <laughs> the, the tripod was interesting, but I think my observations were right. were interesting too. <laughs> um, so, you know, the the purpose of that that observing session really was to take a look at Sirius uh, because it was probably my last opportunity, just with the weather forecast and. Uh, you know, it's, it's getting further and further towards uh, twilight. Um, so I wanted to try with my largest aperture also, which is why I had the big 120 out that night. And um, I started off um, with a, about a six millimeter eyepiece. Uh, so that gave me 150 times power with that particular telescope. And I finally saw the pup, Chris. Oh, so wow. Well, congratulations. Super, yeah, thanks. I'm super excited that I, I finally made that split. Um, it wasn't a great observation, and I certainly will uh, will be trying for it again. But um, I saw it at, I, I would say, about 2 o'clock, you know, from, like as it appeared through, you know, the left-right reversed in a refractor. Um, it was very faint and it was obscured definitely by the kind of dancing glow of Sirius or Sirius itself. Um, but the pup came into view two different times for me and it was just for a brief moment. And then it Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, was lost again in, in the glow. Um, so I probably observed for about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and, and during that time, I just had those two brief moments of, of, uh, splitting, um, 
I did, uh, I did increase the power. I, I put a five millimeter eyepiece in there, but I wasn't successful. And I don't know if it was so much that eyepiece or just the night. Um, you know, the, the seeing wasn't, like I said earlier, it wasn't great. It also wasn't terrible. It was kind of in the middle. Um, but, uh, anyway, needless to say, I'm happy that I can cross that one, uh, off the list. Um, some other stuff that night, uh, moon was uh, about quarter moon and there is some faint, uh, earth, earth shine or earth glow on there. And, and that was pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I just happened to catch an iridium flare when I was looking up at, in the direction of Cassiopeia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what else? Oh, I, uh, I did test the, uh, the Takahashi 28 millimeter Erfel. So this is a, a new addition to my eyepiece stable. Um, I'm always curious for uh, a lightweight wide field inch and a quarter eyepiece that provides good eye relief. So, uh, 28 millimeters is, you know, fairly low power for inch and a quarter. Uh, it's a 60 degree field of view with 20 millimeters of eye relief. Um, it, uh, the eye relief was perfect for me. Uh, I was able to take in the whole field. Um, but it was a little soft, probably in the outer, I'd say 30%, uh, of the field of view, which is not unexpected for an Erfel, but, um, I would say it's definitely like, I remember the views through your 30 millimeter wide scan. And hmm. I think this is certainly sharper than that one. Um, but okay. it's not perfect. So if your eyes can accommodate some of that and, and, you know, typically younger eyes can, but you know, it's not to say that older folks, uh, can't, uh, can't have the same benefit, but if your eyes can accommodate for those aberrations, I think this is a killer eyepiece. My eyes suck for that. So it's not a great eyepiece for me. If, if you really want, uh, you know, nice sharp stars all the way to the edge. Um, but, uh, anyway, that's my report. I I'm not keeping it. I am going to sell it, but, uh, But that's, uh, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting eyepiece for, you know, again, you know, if you're looking for something lightweight and inch and a quarter. Yeah. Cool. All right. Very good. All right. Shall I read an uh, email from uh, listeners? Sorry about that. No worries. No, go for it. You're you've got gear, you're getting observing. It's uh, this is crazy. Yeah. It's wild times here. Wild times. So used to us not even getting any, anything in. So, all right. So we had an email from, from Wade, who's from Australia and he says, uh, hi, Chris and Shane just had my first, uh, club dark sky, uh, meet since, uh, July last year, uh, mostly due to the weather. Uh, I kept it very casual, had lots of new astronomy and camping gear to test out, even had some uh, new people there that uh, we spent a lot of time showing them uh, all the showpiece objects and that sort of thing. Uh, Orion is always good, but when you go straight from M42 to the Carina Nebula, it really takes your breath away. You're hit with an absolute wall of stars and nebulosity, and going to 150X shows you the very orange homunculus nebula around the central star, which is at a Carina. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, have you have you seen the Carina Nebula yet? No, I haven't. Uh, the the times where I've been, you know, I guess as far south as I've been is probably like the latitude of kind of Hawaii or the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, I've uh, I've always taken binoculars and I've always had you know a desire to do some astronomy, but I've never really planned the astronomy very well or made it a priority. And as such, I really did very little. Um, so no, I haven't seen it. Uh, I love reading about, you know, the Southern hemisphere observations just because it's, it's so foreign to me. And, uh, you know, I live vicariously through these words here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's neat. Yeah. I've been to Hawaii and I was able to, 
to see the Etacrina uh, Nebula there, uh, uh, you know, when I was uh, visiting the mountaintop for a couple nights. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool stuff. All right, he goes on to say, uh, the reason I'm writing though is to report that I split Sirius. I uh, wasn't planning to, but while I was setting up and allowing my finder, I realized I had split Rigel with uh, with what I thought to be a quite large separation using 150 uh, magnification. Uh, so I gave Series B a go and boom, there it was. It was much fainter and only just outside the glare slash blur of Series A. And luckily not sitting behind the diffraction spikes, this would have totally hidden it. Yeah, that's fortuitous. Um, I put the ease of this down to four things after he was using his eight-inch daub age. Um, well, some of the young members and other guests, I could see it as well. Uh, some of the others couldn't. So uh, he's uh, a younger person. So that definitely uh, would help him there. Uh, really good uh, culmination, uh, culmination. That's the alignment of the optics. Um, and he always tries to get that perfect. I even got uh, complimented on his alignment uh, multiple times throughout the night from, uh, you know, uh, other observers, I guess, when he's looking at different targets. Um, altitude and seeing. So for him, Cirrus is uh, 70 degrees above the horizon. So for us, it's uh, what, maybe like 20 degrees above the horizon, if that's something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty low. And, and that's, you know, that's what makes it, I, I, you know, for us anyway, I think a little more challenging is because we're looking through more atmosphere um, now I'm not saying that that's an easy observation at 70 degrees. Cause I, I still think that that's a, yeah. a great, a great thing to have in the log book that, that you split it, but, but yeah, having the extra atmosphere does not make it uh, any easier. Yeah. And he wished you good luck in your, uh, in your continued hunt chain. And, uh, he wondered, were you trying with your 76? I, that was with your, uh, tax 76, correct? No, this, so splitting it was with the 120 ED. Oh, that was Sky with the 120. Yeah. Oh, okay. every, every attempt up until that night, I'm just trying to think last year, maybe even the year before. I think all of my attempts so far have been with the 76. Um, I may have tried once with the 120, Yeah, but I can't remember. So. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Um, and then he finally concludes with, uh, glad to hear your weather is improving as well. Clear skies, uh, Wade. And he sent us um, a photo. Looks like they're camped out in the field somewhere. Kind of looks uh, somewhat similar to when we all go camping. I wish yeah. uh, wish I'd been there. That's for sure. Very cool. Yeah. All right. And uh, Jim sent us a note. Do you want to read uh, Jim's uh, email to us? Yeah. So hi, Chris and Shane. Uh, I know some people sketch items so they can see, uh, that's in parentheses, uh, more visually of what they see in the eyepiece. Uh, alternatively, I get enjoyment out of learning details about what the apparently tiny bit of light actually is. Hmm. Uh, on Thursday, uh, May 31st, uh, that must be, I think it was March. March. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. March, there, yeah. March. Yeah. So March 31st, my wife and I caught Venus, uh, Saturn and Mars, uh, dancing along the horizon when we were out for our morning walk between five 30 and six 30 AM. Uh, as I zoomed in on the document, full screen width on a laptop works well. Uh, I picked up three more stars that I had missed visually, but had photobombed my image of the planets. Uh, the photobombing stars were, oof, I don't know if I'm going to get these right, but uh, Saddle Melek, uh, Saddle Sud, Sud, maybe Saddle Sud, and finally uh, Deneb Al Gedi. Uh, so two of the stars, uh, Aquar or Alpha Aquarii and Beta Aquarii, were born together as hot class B stars, uh, similar to the stars in the Pleiades, but in a looser association than the Pleiades and therefore have drifted apart. 
Uh, Saddle Melek uh, shines at 2.94 magnitude uh, to the far left of the planets and just over the far left rooftop in this image. Uh, Saddle Melek is a relatively rare yellow supergiant, uh, 760 light years distant. Uh, its luminosity is 3,000 times that of our sun, uh, with a diameter about 60 times greater than our sun. Uh, some yellow supergiants are Cepheid uh, variables, uh, but this one is not, and no one knows for sure why. Uh, so just a, a slide, or just kind of a, a step out of the email for a second. Uh, Cepheids are, are quite interesting because they help uh, astronomers measure distance in the universe. And uh, maybe I'll just leave it there. Uh, if you're if you're curious, uh, there's a lot of reading you can do on Cepheids. Um, so back to the email. Saddle Melek is just slightly fainter than the other star, Saddle Sud, uh, which is Beta Aquarii. Uh, so Saddle Sud is the highest star in this image and left of Venus at 2.89 magnitude. Uh, Beta Aquarii is a rare star because it is a supergiant, but has a surface temperature of only 56,000 uh, temperature, same as our sun. Uh, it lies at a distance of 600 light years from Earth and is 2,200 times brighter than our sun. Hmm. And then Jim writes, uh, finally, uh, 39 light years away and below Saturn is 2.9 magnitude, uh, Deneb al -Gedi. Uh, its luminosity is 8.5 times that of our sun, uh, about once per day, it has an eclipse eclipsing binary that drops the apparent brightness by about 0.2 magnitude. So barely visible, uh, change in brightness, um, it is a metallic A star, highly enriched in most metals, but deficient in some metals uh, like calcium. Um, and that's it. Then he just signs off uh, with Jim. Um, very cool email. And, and I just, I love yeah. the attention to everything in the field and then discovering, you know, all of these details about it. Cause um, even, even just like looking through the eyepiece, you know, you'll find your object, but there's always background stars or almost always there's going to be some background stars. And uh, I just think this is such a cool way to continue, I guess, maybe learning, but also enjoying the view because there's just so much to, to see and learn. Very cool. Yeah, I, I enjoy that as well. Just, uh, you know, uh, how he detailed it down, kind of like an observing report, um, you know, with some of the astrophysical data. Uh, it, it is neat to uh, just just to hear somebody else's perspective and how, how they incorporate those kind of things into their observations. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. All right. Um, shall I read? Uh, shall I read the, uh, the, the email from uh, Dave? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, so Dave sent us a couple of emails. Uh, the first email had uh, a really neat image of the moon and Aldebaran and uh, a jet going by in front of the moon. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Kind of, it was it was an it was an occultation of Aldebaran, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyway, Aldebaran had uh, is the the brightest star in the constellation of Taurus, and I think it was just just appearing from behind the limb of the moon, or it was very you could see Aldebaran very close just to the, the edge of the moon. And then uh, he had this jet going by with those uh, contrails coming out of it. Uh, very stunning uh, photo. Very cool. And then he wrote, uh, hi, uh, Shane and Chris. Uh, last Saturday, I joined uh, Eric, who we had in the show a while, or uh, who we did an interview with and uh, have talked about on the show uh, in the past. Um, so he was out observing with Eric uh, from the Calgary RSC. 
uh, at a ranch. I'm not going to try to pronounce the ranch name, but uh, it was out at, out at a ranch. I don't know how to say that, um, which is one of their observing sites that's west and a bit south of, uh, of, of where he lives in, uh, in uh, Alberta, which is just the province next door to that. Um, so it is a Bortle 4 site. So I was excited to start my Messi list, having just completed the Explorer the Universe Certificate. Congratulations on that. I sit in the observing committee and I, I can't remember. Have I seen that go through yet? Hopefully, um, yeah, you get your application in and we'll get the award out to you. Um, we got there around 5 p.m., got our scopes out. He's using uh, 81 millimeter William optics and Eric had his 17 and a half inch reflector. I really want to look through that scope someday. Um, dark settled in and the scene was excellent, but the temperature kept dropping, uh, very quickly and his uh, red dot finder, um, and the main objector objective end up getting covered in dew and eventually everything got covered in frost. Uh, we were at a camping site and didn't have anything to deal with the dew. Luckily he had also brought his binoculars, uh, so set up and was looking at messy objects with those, um, initially just by, uh, looking at fuzzy areas and checking out what they were. Uh, like the beehive cluster, Pleiades, M42, etc. Uh, then I got up my charts and found a number more. So much to see. It's weird, but if I don't sketch them, I don't feel like I've seen them. So it's interesting to get these like two emails sort of back to back with uh, just different perspectives from folks. Very cool. Um, Eric was looking at many of the finest NGC lists. He did have uh, dew heaters on everything. Saw a lot of galaxies that evening. That's ah, springtime, eh? So it was not wasted night by any means. Uh, I packed up and it was around 1.30 in the morning uh, and he was getting pretty cold and Eric kept going uh, all night. Yeah, I think Eric actually sent us uh, a note about, uh, about his observations and having, having observed until the sun came up or something like that. So he goes on to ask a little bit of a question to me, I suppose. I know you guys have talked about dew shields uh, in the past. He said, which I have on the scope and dew heaters, but I can't remember if you went into any depth in these. Um, if you did uh, and can guide me to that episode, that'd be great. Otherwise, maybe worth a discussion in the episode. Um, how do you know when it is likely going to be a dewy evening? How can you deal with uh, dew heaters, hair dryers, etc.? Being in Alberta, it was the first time he really had this problem. And uh, considering how fleeting the, the good, good skies are, you want to be able to take advantage of them. Um, yeah, so he's kind of directing this at, at me, which is, uh, which is great. So yeah, so out East, you, you just get due every night and that's where I started doing all my observing. And, um, when, when he referred to having a dew shield and he says, uh, which I have on the scope. So, so in a way, like out East, you don't even count the dew shields on the scopes. And I did write, uh, I did write him back and gave him all, all the details on this, but, I think that the formula I was uh, always going with and seemed to work is that you want a dew shield that extends two and a half times um, the aperture of your opening. And what that does is it allows you to keep a, uh, uh, a warm air bubble uh, in front of the lens. And uh, Kendrick is the company that makes these dew shields. So what I would do is I uh, had bought, I had several of these. I, have, I don't use them out here. It's just, it's just not dewy enough for me. Um, but the way that they work is they have like, uh, they're made out of almost like, well, it's this hard plastic, but 
they're formed round and then they have this um, foam circle and then there's some uh, Velcro. And so what you do is just sort of encircle it. But what I always try to do is put that foam um, more or less around where the objective glass is to give it a little bit of insulation um, so that it's not cooling quite as fast because refractors will cool pretty fast anyway. And then to make sure that I have about two and a half times um, whatever circumference that circle is, like however or diameter of that, um, I have two and a half times. So for example, on my five inch, I think my douche was about six. So I wanted to have that close to 18 inches might not have been quite that far out in front, but that's, um, that's what I used, whatever, whatever it was from Kendrick, um, seemed to work. And I would get by, um, I would get by the evening, um, was never really a problem once I was using those sort of, uh, dew shields. I never use dew heaters cause I don't like messing with electronics too much in the dark. And I have used, um, like dew busters, which look like a hairdryer, but they're not to be pretty careful with heat because, um, if you have any like crud on your eyepieces and you start taking a hairdryer to them, you can end up like baking on any kind of, um, debris or grease or anything that's on the, uh, on, on the lenses or anything like that. So I tend not to, uh, use those sort of things. Um, but the, the thing that I used, um, I ended up switching to and, and doing this, um, and this works really, really well for dewy evenings is I took a, a t-shirt and I would just put the telescope sort of through the arms of the t-shirt and then, uh, have like a lot of the loose material available. And every time I step away from the telescope, I would pull that material up over the, um, objective end and, and then back over the, uh, the eye lens. Um, pretty quick. So if, if I'm not looking through the telescope, then it's uh, being covered up. And I actually found that uh, that worked really well as, as well. Um, if people do want to build their own dew heaters, they can look up Mark K, K-A-Y-E. And uh, it takes a little bit of searching around. I sent the links um, and, and it's not overly complicated how to build these, these dew heaters. But anyway, he's, he's a person that has uh, free dew heater plans online that, uh, that people can uh, can pick up and experiment with, uh, on their own. So that's sort of my, my advice. Oh, when, when is it going to be dewy? Um, when the humidity is high and in the spring here, when all the snow and everything is melting, that's when you're going to have, um, a lot of humidity or if we get, we're getting a lot of rain and that sort of thing. If there's a lot of moisture around, I mean, I suppose you can, you can get humid nights like any time, but you know, um, typically out here, um, though, those are going to be the really bad times just, uh, when we're having this spring melt and that that's why it's uh, dewy right now. Like even when I wake up, there's um, a lot of frost because uh, we're still going below zero, like, um, you know, on the cars and everything, but here in probably another two or three weeks, we'll probably get out of that. All right. Yeah. So yeah, one, of, yeah one of the other key things about dew, uh, like if you're trying to determine if you're going to have a problem with it is to look at the forecasted dew point. Um, oh, yeah. so, That's good. like for example, I just looked for, uh, here in Regina tonight, our dew point is negative um, 5.4 degrees Celsius. So basically what that tells you is that that temperature, um, that is when water or humidity in the air will start to collect or form on anything that yeah. reaches that temperature. So you can kind of predict then when the dew may become an issue. So like for us, if I look at the hourly forecast, 
tonight we're going to hit minus five at 2 a.m. and then minus six at 3 a.m. So mm -hmm. probably around two is when, you know, you're going to start to see frost develop here. Yeah. Um, now that's, you know, you, you can use the dew point, uh, all year round. Um, and, and that'll help you out a little bit. And essentially what you want to do to avoid the dew is just stay, you want to keep your gear just slightly above that dew point temperature. So if you can do that, you'll avoid any accumulation on your eyepieces and lenses and mirrors. All right, dude, do you want to read the last email? Uh, yeah. Oh, wait, is it the last one? No. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Go for Sean? It. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, hi guys. I listened to the objects to observe in April episode last Thursday, and it was going to be clear out. So I looked up the comets you mentioned in my planetarium software, uh, on this particular evening, comet Borelli was going to be in the same field of view as NGC 1579. So I set up my imaging rig, which is an AT 72 ED two with a 0 0.8 reducer, which puts it at F 4.8. Uh, it is on a Sirius EQG mount with a ZWO or ZWO astronomy camera. Uh, here's the image of that. And I'll attach the video of the comet moving in another email. Um, it was a pretty cool image. The, uh, the NGC, uh, I think that's a nebula, isn't it? If I'm yeah, that's the Northern Triffid. Right, right. Yes. Uh, was very prominent. And then there was a kind of a green glowy comet, uh, in the same field. Yeah. Um, so very anyway, cool. yeah, it was, uh, Sean says very excited about this image. Uh, and then you had Don on the show again, which was great. Uh, I listened to his podcast also cheers, Sean. And, uh, oh yeah, there, sorry. I was going to read the next line there about uh, Anthony. So <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I really like that. And, uh, these, these three emails kind of came in, um, one after another, and it was, it was neat to kind of get like those, these are kind of like the three perspectives. Um, you have the person who's, um, really interested in, in observing and the astrophysical components and, you know, other aspects like that. And, uh, you have somebody who's doing some sketching and, and like a lot of manual observing. And then you have somebody who's, who's doing astro imaging with a uh, small gear, like pretty, pretty, uh, pretty neat, pretty wide spectrum of observations. Uh, they're a nice assortment. Really loved it this week. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. We also had an email there from, from Anthony. I think you responded to this one, Shane. Thank you for that. Uh, Anthony, uh, is, is from Australia. He sent us a really great email. I'm kind of getting a little bit tight on time here, but, uh, we definitely appreciate the time that, that he put in and, uh, and, and sent us that, uh, that beautiful email, um, you know, about, uh, about his observations and uh, certainly we appreciate, uh, all the observations, questions and, and images, uh, that people send us. It really, uh, helps, uh, create, I, I think, uh, an interesting show, you know, full of a lot of different perspectives and observations that, uh, uh, you know, sort of, sort of make it a richer experience, I think for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else to add, Shane? No, that's it. All right. Thanks, Shane. Thanks to everybody for listening and be sure to subscribe in your podcatching software. And we're always excited to get your observing reports, emails, sketches, astrophotos, et cetera, to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <music>